Hi, the ho, you boys and girls out there in podcast land. Welcome to Radio Film School, a radio documentary anthology series about filmmaking, cinema, and the pursuit of passion. Every week, we bring you personal, passionate, and sometimes provocative stories from filmmakers and artists all over the globe. Stories that will help you mature as an artist and find more fulfillment in your craft and career. This week, we have another shortened episode. These are many documentary nuggets about all kinds of random topics related to cinema and the arts. And today we have a doozy, easily one of my favorites in a long time. Be sure to stay after the end credits for a discussion about how Don Draper would have handled the Pepsi ad. But before we get started, I want to give a huge props to our sponsor, Lens Pro to Go, for their support. This show is largely a labor of love, and it means a lot to have a company like Lens Pro to Go help keep it going. They make it easy for you to find the filmmaking and photography equipment you need for any project without breaking the bank. And the people who work there are themselves working filmmakers and photographers. So they can answer any questions you have about gear as well as give you tips and suggestions. It's grade A customer service. Their prices include two-day shipping for all of their items, so there's no shipping surprise costs when you get to the end of the checkout page. Everything shipped to you in Pelican cases with return address labels already printed and ready to go. All you have to do is put the gear back in the box, tape it up, slap on the label, then take it to your nearest UPS store. Or schedule a pickup. Currently, they're only available in the U.S. Just head on over to lensprotogo.com and use the offer code radio to save yourself 10%. We thank Lensprotogo for their support. Now, without further ado, on with the show. It was a time of uncertainty, stress, and upheaval in our country. People took to the streets to protest racial and civil injustice. Riots ran rampant. Wars were happening in foreign lands, and our precarious relationship with the Russian superpower had the world on edge. The sitting Republican president was often criticized by the left, and young people were a voice of a new generation hoping to make a change. And to speak to that generation, one of the most popular soda companies in the world created an ad they hoped would make a difference. An ad filled with attractive 20-somethings from a wide range of races. It was a veritable cornucopia of multicultural beautiful people. The year was 1971, the president was Nixon, and the company was Coca-Cola. I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to... Wait, wait, hold on, hold up. Oh, shoot, I'm sorry. That's the wrong intro. Fred, that's the wrong... Fred, you gave me the wrong intro. This is the wrong intro. I gotta fire that intern. Sorry, folks. This is really, really unprofessional. Hold on. Hold one second. Okay. All right. Max, let's take it again from the top. All right. I found the right one. All right. Here we go. <clears throat> it was a time of uncertainty, stress, and upheaval in our country. People took to the streets to protest racial and civil injustice. Riots ran rampant. 
Wars were happening in foreign lands, and our precarious relationship with the Russian superpower had the world on edge. The sitting Republican president was often criticized by the left, and young people were a voice of a new generation hoping to make a change. And to speak to that generation, one of the most popular soda companies in the world created an ad that they hoped would make a difference. An ad filled with attractive 20-somethings from a wide range of races. It was a veritable cornucopia of multicultural beautiful people. The year was 2017, the president was Trump, and the company was Pepsi. Some said never, but they never done come. Yeah, and took our drive. You know, I really can't blame Fred, the intern, for mixing up those two intros. There is a lot of similarity. But one key difference was the audience reception to the two respective soda ads. The famous Coke ad has gone down in history as one of the most popular and iconic in televised commercial history. With a cost of about $250,000, it was the most expensive television commercial in history at the time. Radio versions of the song would go on to reach the top of the charts in the US, Canada, the UK, Australia, and even New Zealand. The commercial even played a role in the series finale of the hit AMC show Mad Men. The Pepsi ad, on the other hand, didn't fare so well. That new Pepsi ad that is sparking a lot of outrage out there. Critics are calling it tone deaf. Pepsi has pulled an ad featuring Kendall Jenner after just one day. We have a deeply <laughs> divided nation, but today it seems like everyone has come together to join the protest against the new protest ad from Pepsi. Um, have you guys seen it? Have you Once again, we see a Kardashian in a video being put in an awkward position. And then Kendall Jenner steps in and solves everyone's problems by handing the police officer a Pepsi. Yeah, even in the commercial, the cop's like, are you all out of Coke or... Uh, I'm out Since the dawn of television, large brands have used the power of moving pictures to sell everything from cigarettes to sugar water. And every now and then, one of those ads connects with the cultural zeitgeist in such a way that it leaves an indelible, unforgettable mark and joins the annals of the most talked about and memorable ads of all time. Every company wants such an ad. Every agency who makes ads will love to add to their repertoire a commercial that makes history, is viewed by billions, and becomes required case study reading for every Harvard Business School student. I'm sure Pepsi hoped this would be such an ad. Funny enough, it probably will be all those things, but I'm guessing not in the way that Pepsi had hoped. So what went wrong? How did so many ostensibly smart people in a room not see this PR disaster a mile away? And what can we as filmmakers and content creators learn from their gaffe? Well, today we're going to find out. My name is Ron Dawson, and this is Radio Film School's Short Ends. Now, I'm sure that by now, most of you out there have seen this ad. But just in case you haven't, let me describe it to you. 
We open with an Asian man playing cello on the helipad of a nondescript skyscraper. There are a bunch of protesters in the street with protest signs and stuff, and an attractive model-looking Muslim photographer with a multicolor hijab is frustrated over sheets of photos. Uh, a couple of black guys are dancing hip-hop in the street, I think, and you know, actually, it's kind of hard to describe this thing for an audio podcast. You kind of have to see it. Wait, I found a video clip that does a wonderful job describing it. Just give me one second to find it. Okay, here it is. All right, take a listen to this. I mean, okay, so, well, it's, it's an homage to uh, the resistance. So there's this huge protest in the street, reminiscent of Black Lives Matter. And so everybody's marching, right? And they get to these police officers. And you think it's going to go bad because there's kind of like a standoff. And then... Kendall Jenner walks in and she walks up to one of the police officers and she hands him a Pepsi. And then that Pepsi brings everybody together. <laughs> I mean, isn't that like the best dad ever? Sort of tone deaf. I don't know if you saw the Saturday Night Live sketch about it, but I did. I did. So, yeah. What was so brilliant? So good. I wanted to have a conversation about this ad with some people who I knew would have valuable insight. One of those people is Blake Howard. Blake is an old friend from my days in Atlanta. He's the creative director for Matchstick, a brand consulting firm who's actually done work for companies like Coca-Cola, Chick-fil-A, and other large national brands. I got Blake on Skype to get his take on the Pepsi snafu. They didn't even have to fully make fun of it. They just had to describe the actual ad, and that in and of itself was hilarious. So this makes you wonder, okay, at some point somebody described this thing, and at some yeah. point people saw various cuts, I assume, and yet it still you know, like made it to you know air and made it online. Your thoughts about that, you know, how yeah. something like that kind of just got out there? Well, I think there's multiple forces at play. One thing that's that's fascinating to me is the this conversation about millennials. And I do think there is a an older generation who is in leadership at large institutions, organizations, brands that feel like they need to appeal to this very ubiquitous label of millennial. And so I think that ideas, they they get packaged around research based on what millennials care about and they get sold upriver to a generation of incredibly smart, uh, wise, seasoned leaders who then say, well, we need to attract millennials and if this is what they want, well, we should give it to them. And I think there's a disconnect, almost a, a, a generational gap between really understanding each other. And I'm technically a millennial, so I can say that. I don't identify always with the qualities of, an, of a millennial, uh, but I just barely made it into that that category. And I do resonate with the lack of, you know, it's this inauthentic kind of approach to a brand like Pepsi. So to me, the biggest mistake there was they felt like they were taking something that people care about, um, standing up, voicing their opinion, freedom of speech, the freedom to protest. And they were trying to sell me a Coke or a Pepsi based on that. You know, it's like, they're trying to sell me this this product not really aligned with what I care about. So I do think there is this, this um, overlap between commercial interests and then just social good that that is tricky. And I don't think people should should walk into it lightly. And if they do walk into it, it has to be 
110% authentic. I mean, it has to be from the CEO to the janitor lived and breathed. And I think a good example of that is Yvonne, Ch- uh, I forget how you say his last name, Chenard from Patagonia, I believe, the founder. Um, he lives and breathes uh, sustainability and quality. And you get that, you, you understand that, and you you know that Patagonia is all about that because he believes it and he preaches it. And when they put out an ad that tells you not to buy more of their products uh, on Black Friday, like they did a couple years ago, it, it's not shocking. It doesn't feel like they're trying to take advantage of a trend or a mindset. You you believe it because they have a lifetime guarantee on all their products and they'll repair anything for you. So that's an example where from the CEO all the way throughout the culture of the organization, they truly believe sustainability is a good thing. They truly believe that high quality products are a way to eliminate some of the low quality trash that can pollute the, the earth. And whether you align with their beliefs or not, you you understand it and you think that it's tried and it's true and it's real. On the flip side with Pepsi, when you see uh, an ad like that where they're seemingly taking advantage of the social, political climate and at the end it closes with you know a hand and a Pepsi, you just get a bit skeptical from it and I think there's backlash from that. I think Blake makes a great point about the need for authenticity in a brand when communicating social injustice ideologies. But then what about Coca-Cola? What was it about that ad that catapulted it into fame? Yeah, the McCann Erickson ad, of course, is like incredibly celebrated in advertising circles, right? And as a, a textbook case. That's the voice of Christopher Santo Domingo Chan, a pre-doctoral instructor at the University of Washington where he teaches visual anthropology. He's also the resident visual anthropologist at the Viral Video Factory Cut, based here in Seattle. Oh, what's visual anthropology, you ask? Yeah, I didn't know what it was either. Actually, completely common in anthropology, so there's a lot of visual anthropologists out there. All right, so tell me, what is a visual anthropologist? Yeah. Um, okay. So, well, anthropologists study human culture and all its diversity. So, one way you can think of anthropologists are as archaeologists who dig up artifacts, or people that measure, say, gene, the human genome or things like that. But I'm a, as a visual anthropologist, I study human culture as it's articulated through images and imagery. I thought Chris's insight into the difference between the Coke ad and the Pepsi ad was nuanced but poignant. It also marks this moment in history in advertising where the the show is not about the product anymore, but about the ethos, the emergence of the brand or whatever. Whereas we know that we're being marketed to in 1971, it's just that was the first time that people actually abstracted these ideologies into the commodity fetish, which is the Coke bottle. I think the interesting thing, like if we're going back through the archives and revisiting both of these commercials in history, like if we really study the Coke ad, it wasn't all daisies and roses. Like when we were, when they were filming it, they like bust in these orphans from around the world and then put them on these buses and made them wait for eight hours in the sweltering sun in like an Italian hilltop. They were like completely <laughs> exploited to make this video. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like the comparisons are really interesting. I think they both of those commercials reveal different things about the past and the present to us in that way. What still has got me baffled just a little bit, though, is this question of how. 
How did so many smart people get this wrong? Chris had some thoughts on that too. So here's what I would hypothesize. Like there are two possibilities. One is that there are really smart people in that room that calculated that this would be controversial for the wrong reasons and that that would still be advantageous and that it would still produce, like it's so provocative to such a wide spectrum of people for so many different reasons that it, it actually has to become like the most talked about thing. That's one theory, <laughs> the conspiracy theory there. Um, but the other might be that actually there probably were objections in that room, right? There were probably objections throughout the entire process. But as we know, working in creative, not everybody's, um, I don't know, critique is weighed equally. Hmm. Um, and that there are also certain pressures in creative environments that you know, have nothing to do with the idea itself that find their way and inscribe themselves into the messaging of a particular idea. My true feeling is that there were people making objections and that for whatever reason, they weren't addressed. I mean, there's no secret that amongst creative laborers at this moment in, at this moment in time is predominantly white. Like leadership is predominantly white and male, right? Like I don't think that it is a coincidence that such, you know, people use the word tone deaf, but it just seems naive to me, actually. I think like there is a material impact on the way that we conduct business and pr produce and create ideas in an environment that is actually completely like overrepresented by straight white men. Like I don't, think that's surprising and that shouldn't be surprising to anybody or any people of color or whatever that work in the industry like we all know that at, and talk about it at happy hour i think like the only way for a brand to make a meaningful political statement is actually a paradoxical one in order to do it they cannot profit off of it right and the, wow, and the moment that they profit off it in any way like the entire audience and anybody around begins to read it for what it truly is. Okay, when Starbucks says that um, they're going to hire a bunch of refugees, like in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, that's great PR for you and other people tweeting themselves drinking frappuccinos with like a hashtag about it. Right. But I'm also thinking, you know, anthropologically, like you would have hired that you do hire those refugees already because they're though you can pay them a low wage to work an entry level job. Like you were, you have millions of stores, so you were already going to do that and you've just spun it. Like it's some sort of political intervention, you know? So yeah, like that's the paradox. I think if the corporation at all profits from it, then it can't ever be like um, a truly politically motivated act. In the grand scheme of things, as bad and comical as this ad was, luckily, Pepsi probably won't need to worry about it for far too long. Here's Blake again. On the flip side of that, the good thing is I do think that that we are all incredibly fickle now. And just like, you know, when United happened um, and, and the, the passenger was drug off the plane, right. all of a sudden, no one remembered the Pepsi commercial. Uh, next <laughs> week, something else will happen and no one will remember the Pepsi commercial. So I do think as consumers, we're just incredibly fickle. When was the last time you heard someone talk about the BP oil spill? Or when was the last time that really stopped you from buying gas at BP? Now, maybe the people that are very passionate about that, that topic, but I think from the masses, the general consumers, they, they forgot.
Well, if you had forgotten about the Pepsi ad, I hope you didn't mind this stroll down memory lane to discuss it again. Funny, it was barely just a month ago. Hopefully, we brought you a few insights you hadn't heard before. As filmmakers and content creators, this was an excellent case study on the importance of knowing your audience, the value of authenticity, and the dangers of appropriating political or other provocative social movements for rather trivial causes. The Pepsi adds with the slogan, Live Bold. The SNL spoof ends with the quip, Live and Learn. As funny as that is, it's actually great advice. Be sure to stick around after the credits as Chris and I have an insightful conversation about what Mad Men's Don Draper would have done had he been given the Pepsi spot. Radio Film School is a production of Dare Dreamer Media and is a proud member of the Podcastica Network, a small collection of pop culture podcasts that cover topics from your favorite television shows to meditation and health to podcast production. This podcast and other great shows can be found at podcastica.com. Music for this episode was curated from feemusicarchive.org and kevinmcclouds and competech.com. Links to tracks are in the show notes. If you live in the United States and you need equipment for a photo or video shoot, look no further than our friends at lensprotogo.com. They're staffed by working filmmakers and photographers who offer excellent customer service and advice. Everything is shipped in Pelican cases, two-day shipping costs are included in the rates, and if you use the offer code RADIO, you'll save yourself 10%. That's lensprotogo.com, offer code RADIO. If you like what we're doing on the show, please subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a rating and review. You can also find the show at Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and our RSS feed is on every blog post for each episode. Another great way you can support the show is actually by becoming a Daredreamer FM Premium member. Premium membership helps keep the show going and putting out great weekly content. And for just a few bucks a month, you not only get the show, but you get access to ebooks, templates, bonus episodes, discounts, and other products and services, and other resources to help you grow in your craft and career. So go to daredreamer.fm slash join to learn more. You can follow me on Twitter at daredreamerron, and you can follow the show at Radio Film School. That's it for this week. Remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or cut it on. You know, we all learn um, in the series finale of Mad Men that it was actually Don Draper who came up with that ad. So if Don were alive today, who knows his ad, but if he had the Pepsi ad, if he was in charge of that account, what do you think Don would do? Mm. What do you think he would have done? Yeah, I I love this question. It's like fan fiction. So, um, yeah, Don Draper. um, Mad Men is such a great cultural piece, right? So it's super anthropological too, right? Like we are trained to look at advertisements or ads and read them simply as ads. Mad Men takes us into the lives of the people that are doing the labor of producing those ads to show you exactly where the inspiration comes from. And it comes from really dark fucked up places like mm-hmm. abandonment as a child right. or like your dissatisfaction or whatever existential stuff and don draper especially is this character in the show that's constantly dissatisfied existentially no matter how many affairs he has or things he buys 
can never like fill the void, so to speak. I don't really know a lot of people like that. I don't know any Don Drapers in my real life, but if I had to say that there was, if Don Draper was around today, like we'd have to ask, what are the existential questions of our time? Hmm. You know, one is that we work more and more. We've worked the most we ever have in human history and we sleep the less and we're the, the most unsatisfied. We are plagued almost universally by anxiety and or depression, right? Like these are modern ailments and they have everything to do with the time that we live in. And he would probably ask like, okay, how instead can Pepsi, this can of Pepsi, not just soothe, but address and also heal like the wounds of those alienations, whatever they are. The big ultimate question would be like, can the Pepsi ad still be political? without being totally tasteless. Mm-hmm. Like, can it actually address the truth of these social alienations that we feel, especially living under Trump or whatever, right? Feeling in, as insecure as we do now as in 1971. I do think it could be, right? But uh, it's produced in a model that's too old. So I think Don Draper would probably have a viral campaign where people tweet in. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. I don't know what Don Draper would do. I tend to think he would, you know, despite his, you know, personal issues, um, you know, he was a man who was very insightful about, you know, the world around him and, you know, even his look at the way people of the age were, people of that time were looked at and mm-hmm. his relation to them. I mean, I think about the episode, I think it was in season one or season two, where he discovers one of his coworkers is gay and there's like a fire mm-hmm. a fire alarm going off and you know Don is, you know, crawling down a fire escape and he peers in the window and he sees his coworker with another man and you know, this is, you know, at the time when that kind of thing you were not out about that kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. you know, later on it comes up where that guy's kind of freaked out and Don acts like nothing even happened and, and so you get the sense that he has this insight into and perhaps it's because of his own demons, his human insight into, you know, the era and the time that he's kind of in tune uh, mm-hmm. to those kind of things. He And I, so I could see him seeing an ad like this and saying, like, this is ridiculous. And I don't know specifically what he would do instead, but I could, mm-hmm. I could imagine him having a poignant response and solution to the problem. You're listening to Dare Dreamer FM, the sound of creative expression. Hmm? Ah! Oh.